What up, everybody? This is Fear from FearCast, straight out of the FYFC studios. Sit your ass down. You're listening to this freaking show. Thank you for joining us for this freaky show, the weekly podcast with a little bit of something and a whole lot of nothing. I am your host, Travesty, and alongside me this evening, Awkward Colin and the Freak Joe. Well, I made it through without laughing, so I'm happy. Yeah, that's pretty good. I'm glad. Yeah. I know, right? It made it awesome. Uh, well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm uh, so happy to be celebrating the first week of five of this freaky show, our month-long tribute to uh, Halloween. So I'm super excited about that. I'm also super excited to let you guys know, as we have for, uh, for a while now, that this show is brought to you by Firefit Bar and Grill of Piotown, Illinois. If you're looking for a down-home country restaurant that offers a burger and beer for just $7.99 every Monday and Wednesday, then you got to check out the uh, Firefit Bar and Grill of Piotown. You can find them on Facebook at Firefit Bar or at the website, firefitbar.com. Oh, yes. right. This is the part where I talk about dapper guys. <laughs> if, you like, if you like fancy neckwear for a good price, you should check out wearedapperties.com, where you can get exactly that. If you use the special discount code FREAKIN, that's F-R-E-A-K-I-N, you'll get free shipping. Fancy that. wearedapperties.com. Check them out today. You know, besides uh, forgetting, you did pretty well that day, that time. Thank you. That day. That day. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to, I was, I was, I was thinking about the other two, uh, two attempts and everything. But good job, Joe. I'm Thank proud you. of you. Uh, I'm also really excited that Freak Joe is back. So, uh, so welcome back, Freak Joe. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It's uh, yeah, so just, been a long time. Yeah, I mean, just out of curiosity, what, what has the Freak Joe been up to since uh, this last freaky show? Uh, not much. I, I hibernate from year to year. Oh, I, I get it. I get it. You know, there was a, when we were uh, younger, and um, Colin, you may remember this too, uh, there was actually a witch that would hibernate throughout the year. Uh, it lived right, uh, right behind um, the production editor of our show, Derek. She lived right behind him when, uh, when we were younger. And every year we go trick-or-treating, boom, there's the witch. And we would ask the neighbor, you know, the following day, a week or whatever, hey, where's the witch at? Is she going to come out? And she's like, oh, she's upstairs sleeping because she hibernates for 364 fucking days of the year. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it. I mean, so, so I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy that you're up. I'm happy you're here with us. I'm super excited for, uh, for Freaky Tales. So I'm super excited for that towards the end of the show. But I'm really excited for the fact that we are celebrating Halloween for the next five weeks. Same here. Yeah. Same here. It's good. It's a good thing to be celebrating Halloween again. Absolutely. And on top of that, we're going to be celebrating Colin's birthday on Halloween. Whoop, the big 2 9. Yes, 2 9. Not 3 0 yet. Not 3 0 <laughs> yet. <laughs> I, I did you screw that up earlier? Is that what that. that's. What's that? Is it, did, he, did he get it wrong earlier? Is that what the joke is? Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, I was sitting there i'm just like i don't know how old i am this year oh am i gonna be 29 or am i gonna be 30 and my girlfriend looks at me and goes you're gonna be 29 
<laughs> That's nice of her. Yeah. So. I mean, she, I mean, well, it was like I was telling Colin, like for the longest time, like I completely blanked my mind. I was 28. Like after I had my golden birthday at 26 and shit like that, I remember turning 27, but I don't remember turning anything after that. Mm. So I mean, for, I mean, for the first couple of months after my birthday, I kept thinking I was 27 years old. I mean, shit, my dating profile still says I'm 27. So why the fuck not? Right. Fuck yeah. So, oh yeah, that's true. Ladies, I am single, so help me not be alone anymore. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, so how are you guys doing? What's what's new? What's exciting? What have you guys been up to for the uh, last week? It's been good. Uh, not a whole lot, just uh, classes and classwork. And, uh, ooh, I, uh, I'll talk about <laughs> this a little more later, but I finally started Westworld. So Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, I don't know what that is. What's, what's, it's what, an what's, HBO TV show. Westworld. Yep. It's like a it's like a theme park where uh, you get to fully immerse yourself in being a cowboy, and you can basically do whatever you want. You can kill whoever you want. You can have sex with whoever you want. It's just uh, total uh, wild west hedonism uh, fantasy land. So yeah. is this a is this a documentary? No, no, no. It's based uh, off of a fiction book by Michael Crichton. Uh, so this place don't exist. Nope. No. Damn. Only in your dreams. Damn. They're they're coming out with season two either this year or next year, right? Yeah, I believe so. That's why I figured I should finally catch up. Yeah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a place like that existing in like America anywhere? If you had to, could. if you had to think of a state, if you had to think of a state that would allow a town like that where you could kill and fuck whoever you want, what state do you think that would be? Would it be Texas or would it be more out west? Oh, Texas. Texas, Texas is a good choice. But I feel like there's was, more space out west. I think you're right. I feel like I would put it in like Nevada. See, I was, I was thinking like Nevada. if, I was thinking if not Texas, maybe Wyoming. Yeah, Wyoming is actually what came to mind. But I figured that they're a little bit more law-abiding than the good people of Nevada. I mean, Nevada's got Las Vegas. That's true, Sin City. Yeah. So That's I don't know. True. Yeah. But I'm with you. I actually do think Wyoming would make a better space because there's just it's just empty. So maybe Nevada should do a town like that, but put it on the opposite side of the state. That way, there's more shit to do in Nevada other than Vegas. It'd be good. Right. We'll have to look into that. We'll call Vegas. Or we'll call Nevada. Like I said, we got this great idea to make your state more fun than just Vegas. And then they'll be all like, well, we got Reno. I'm like, fuck Reno. <laughs> no one enjoys Reno. There's a whole Comedy Central show about that. About how people don't enjoy it. Absolutely. Fuck Reno. Hashtag fuck Reno. Um, Colin. Yo. Uh, how fun was the Exploding Cat game yesterday? That was a lot of fun. Right? Joey, did you ever hear this uh, card game called Exploding Cat or I, Exploding Kitten or whatever the fuck it is? Yeah, I do. I own it. It's a great game. Right? I mean, like, I like. so we were over at uh, my sister's house uh, last night, uh, Connor and his girlfriend, uh, Alan and Sherry, and me by myself because, you know, that's me. And uh, we had tacos. Or, uh, they weren't tacos, really. They were, I, I think what well, they called them. I think they called them uh, fucking chalupas, but they're more like uh, tostadas. Yeah. Uh, so that was really good. But then we also played the exploding cat game. But we also played that another fucking the heads up game. I don't know if you ever heard about that app. Yeah, heads up. Uh, heads up. 
Heads up. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, what is that like? It's like a catchphrase, but you did on your phone. Uh, and yeah. the, the person who has the phone has to guess instead of the other way around. It's actually nothing like catchphrase at all. Sorry. I <laughs> Never mind. Very close. I see where but, you're going. Yeah. No, I, I, you're right. It, it is like catchphrase, but instead of, so in catchphrase, the person holding the catchphrase is describing something to a group. In return, the group is describing to the person. Right. Yeah. So awesome game. But the exploring cat game was absolutely amazing. Uh, apparently, I'm very good at it. Colin, not so much. <laughs> nice. <laughs> the exploding cat kittens? Yeah. Yeah. The exploding cat. Yeah. 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 The expansion's even better. Well, see, I think sh- I think Sherry wants to get the expansion. Like, because we started out with, like, five of us, and then it dwindled down to four, and then just to three, me, Colin, and Alan. And when we three were playing, we kind of changed everything up. Like, we put the... Uh, Diffuse all the diffuse uh, cards into the deck, and then all the exploring cat cards into the deck. Mm-hmm. Shuffle them all up, and then we dealt them out. Rather than starting with a diffuse, you actually have to pick the card. Oh, nice! Yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, Alan. Well, when I went, so when we were through playing, I went. I got out in like three turns, and I didn't have a diffuse. I lost. <laughs> Alan. Alan pulled an exploring kitten first round, first hand. <laughs> so nice. <laughs> it was very. It was very interesting, but that was a, that was a lot of fucking fun. Um. Yeah, I, 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 we, we don't know if we were playing a hundred percent correct. No, definitely the, not. The the rules were a little weird, mm. but yeah, and they give you a lot of options for like different ways you can play. Yeah, so I love that game. It's a good game. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean the way the way we played it, I mean, it worked for us, and we like it. We had a lot of fun with That's it. That's the main thing. If you're if you're having fun, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sam, uh, Sam did tell me today that she did not actually care for the game. <laughs> but uh, because she's like, I also don't like that Cards Against Humanity game either. <laughs> so. I, I love Cards Against Humanity. Oh yeah, I, I love Cards Against. I love I love the I love that and Apples to Apples. I mean, it's the same game but more vulgar and Cards Against Humanity. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, just that like kind of game. I guess I had the most fun with. Because I mean, you're just hanging out with your fucking friends, and you're just coming up with goofy shit. Right. It's like, um, like Joey, I don't, I'm not sure if you remember the game. I actually bought it because uh, there was one uh, New Year's. I think we were all at uh, Grandma and Grandpa Snedden's house, and we played a game. that was called a uh, uh, Man Bites Dog. Yes, I love Man Bites Dog. Yeah, and you make like the weird articles, like the the news article the headlines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought that game just because of that night. It's a fun fucking game. It's a great game. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, so I'm more into that than I am into board games and shit like that. So, I mean, games like that I'm into. Uh, but it, it was fun. I mean, nice. I, I felt bad against Colin. Colin could lose. And... Yeah. Were you guys playing the, yeah. the black box version of, of Exploding Kittens or the red box version? Black. I think it was black, yeah. Okay, gotcha. What's the difference? Uh, One's not safe for work. One is. Yeah, that's... We were doing that safe for work. Nice. I haven't played that. I don't. Well, no, I played that the first time I played that game. Mm. So, and then I just, uh, I didn't buy it. My in-laws got it for me for my birthday one year. And I was yeah. like, that's a great gift. You guys really know me well. <laughs> there's an, apparently there's an app of it too. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. Let's do it. Do, do, do. 
Oh, it's probably just for Android or something. Uh, oh, yeah, Android. App, Android and Apple. Oh, now we're off to the races. <laughs> and we lost the freak Joe for the rest of the show. <laughs> oh, that's why I don't have it. I don't want to pay for it. Oh, it's a paid one? It's a dollar ninety-nine. Yeah, I know. It supports developers. I mean, I know that's the right thing to do, but (laughs) I'm also poor. No, and uh, and, uh, I'm the same way. I don't like buying apps either. (laughs) I'll probably get drunk and download it sometime. Speaking of poor, I actually had to have that conversation with Sherry yesterday before I went over to her house. Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, she was telling me, like, and, and it's weird. Like, I know she wasn't trying to be, like, offensive about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I know Sherry's just being Sherry about it. Right. But, like, I mean, one of the biggest reasons, like, I don't go out and do anything is because I don't, I don't have a lot of money anymore. I don't make the money I used to make and everything that's being laid off. So I don't go out and do a lot of shit. Um, so she was telling me, like, how I, you know, I, I should come over. I should come and hang out with everyone. And don't worry about bringing anything because I know you don't have any money to do so. And I'm like, well, that's kind of a dick thing to say. Right. I'm like, I'm like, well, I mean, if you want me to bring something, she's like, no, it's okay. I know you're poor. You don't have to bring anything. And I'm like, well, now I wouldn't even bring anything if I had fucking money. It's like, I mean, right. what, the, like what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> it's like, it's like you, you try to be so nice and also you just drop that whole poor card. It's like, you motherfucker. Yep. I've resigned yeah, myself so. to it. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks for not making me buy anything. Yeah, she was, she was fucking like packing everything up. And she's like, "Trace, you want to take some home?" I'm like, yeah, I, I, you know, I'll make, I'll make something, whatever, take it home. And she's like, "Oh, well, here, take, you know." Or she asked Colin if he, he wanted the cheese, and you know, Colin, Colin. <laughs> I go, yeah, I'll take the cheese, and then she's like, okay. But I like I went to the bathroom or something, came back. I'm like, yeah, that's the wrong cheese. <laughs> yeah, they uh they they took a block of cheese and they made, you know they shred their own cheese with the food processor and everything. But they also make queso, and if you know Colin, Colin loves cheese, doesn't love spicy. Oh yeah yeah. So so she's over here scooping. They said it was Rotel, but I don't know what that means. Yeah, it's like a uh, like a canned thing of usually uh, diced tomatoes and peppers. Okay, so it is spicier. Yeah, it's it's a queso cheese. Um, but yeah, it was like she's over there scooping into the bowl and shit, Dad. And Kyle's looking at it like that's the wrong cheese. <laughs> I meant like, that shredded good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, so she's just she's just making me plates and everything like that. So I'm like, well, fuck, you know, if I'm poor, I might as well just you know, <laughs> might as well take was, it home. Yeah, Kyle was Kyle was pulling all the plates off the fucking t- uh, table and everything. Now it's time, like, just just scrape that shit into a bowl. And she was like, oh, do you want to be home to Cooper? I'm like, yeah, Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even hear that. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I, just, I really uh, I really owned that. Oh, and I, I also stripped onto my underwear on the deck. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Yep. I'm sorry I yeah. missed that. Well, yeah. Apparently, like, when I went outside to smoke and everything, I guess the smoke was kind of, like, lingering, like, towards the open window and going inside. And uh, Colin was doing, like, the whole walking thing with his fingers. At first, I thought Colin was asking me if I wanted to go for a walk. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm assuming he wants me to be naked. <laughs> so I, I just dropped my pants. Where he got like, that, I have no idea. <laughs> so I just dropped my pants. Well, you didn't, like, you oh, didn't have pants on your fingers, so. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That was the thing. Like, 
I, I didn't know, like, I, I didn't think about the smoke going into the house. I didn't know Colin was telling me to walk away from the house. Well, it's weird because I wouldn't even have thought the window because the windows, it was a decent distance away. It's not like you were standing right up by the window. Yeah, I was like 15, 20 feet away. That's, and that's why, like, I didn't think, like, the smoke was going to the house. I was just standing by the back deck. and then They were just saying that, yeah, it kind of smells like smoke. Mm. And so, so I was just kind of like trying to signal him to walk away from the deck or walk away from the door. <laughs> but yep. He decided to strip down instead. That's right. Nice. I took my pants off and I figured, hell, if I'm halfway here, I might as well just take off my shirt. So I took off my shirt and I took off my undershirt. And I just stood there in my underwear. But luckily I got out of the way before uh, before people uh, pulled out their Snapchats and shit. So. <laughs> well, I, I turned around so I didn't see any of it, but Sam yeah, did Snapchat it, so... I looked at her story. I was waiting for me to see it, and I was like, "Oh shit!" You know, so I told him, "Like, send it to your fucking friends. You know, see what happens. You know, what's worse. You know." Well, yeah. it, it was, what she sent it to me, and it was hard to see. Anyways, got a lot of glare from the window. Uh, Trust me, if I had a dollar for every time a woman said it's hard to see, <laughs> I could have brought something to dinner yesterday. <laughs> oh shit! Anyways, Ooh. Halloween. Yes. So uh, I'm really excited for that. Uh, what the fucking what is, that? is that a Tuesday? Yes. That's unfortunate. Glad someone knows. <laughs> but like I, I was I was kind of disappointed though, and like because I as of right now with work, like I was supposed to move to like a Monday through Friday like seven to three thirty p.m. schedule, mm. and I don't see <gasps> happy anytime soon because my night manager uh, actually put us two weeks in uh, a couple uh, last week. So this week is last week. So I'm worried. I think my schedule might go back to the midnights because, you know, right now I'm working like the afternoon and evening. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of bummed out because I'm like, well, shit, you know, by the time, you know, this whole schedule thing goes through, which I thought was going to be like next week, you know, I'll be able to be home more often. I can go on podcasts and everything like uh, like a World of Row wants me to come on their podcast and talk about wrestling and Fear wants me to come on Fearcast and I guess just talk about bullshit. I mean. I'm assuming we're going to talk about how America is better than Canada. Right. So, I mean, that's the logical thing to do. I mean, that's, that's what you'll be Canada. talking about, even if they don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he'll, he'll probably be like, like, so, Travis, how, uh, how are you doing today? I'm like, you know, you guys are nothing but North Dakota, right? You know, shit like that. And You're just America's like, so, hat. <laughs> so, you see any good movies yesterday? I'm like, yeah, I saw America. You know, just stupid shit like that. Uh, but the thing is, like, with the work search I have now, it's really hard to do shit like that. Because, you know, I mean, the only time I podcast is on the weekends. You know, I do JFW on Saturday, and we record this on Sunday. So during the week, it's really fucking difficult. But for me, for them, they record during the week. Because they're weekend, you know, with their family and loved ones and shit like that. I mean, I have no idea what that's like. But, I mean, they do all that shit. Right. Uh, so, anyway, so hopefully that shit happens. But with being Halloween coming around in five weeks, and if this schedule thing doesn't happen, I'm going to be bummed. I'm not going to be able to pass out fucking candy and everything. So I'm thinking I may not even decorate at all. Right. But would you really pass out candy? I passed out candy the last two years I lived here. I I don't, well, did. I don't even think you you were even home, the one. Because I the... remember hiding from people that came to the door. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did, but the thing was, I think... I think the first year I passed out candy, but I think the second year, like by the time I got home, trick or treating was over. Yeah, yeah it was like right. three thirty to seven or some garbage. I didn't get home till like quarter to seven that night. Like three thirty to four thirty. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean trick or treating now is a fucking joke. But yeah, I mean that one year, yeah, I, I when I came home, 
I think it was just finishing up. Cause I remember you tell me because my my fucking like uh what was the 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 fucking window garage door thing was closed and the yeah. light was off. like like Colin was really fucking hiding. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, you, I don't want to hand out candy. I'm sorry. I don't think we had candy to hand out even that year. But the first year we did. I remember we did pass out candy the first year. Yeah, because yeah, I dropped. We did. Yeah, because we dropped the uh, screen down. That way Cooper wasn't trying to run out and you know yeah, fucking play with Cooper. Him. Got into the bowls. <laughs> fucking dog, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like, I mean, Halloween is like probably probably my second favorite holiday, you know, next to like my birthday and shit, obviously, you know. But I mean, I love fucking Halloween. I love the decorations. I love the costumes and shit like that. But you know, with the schedule and everything, it's just gonna completely ruin it for me. And what's the point of me fucking decorating a fucking house that I'm not really gonna be able to get to enjoy? Right. You know? Yep. I mean, I. I I will. I will end up. Uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but my train of thought's still going. No, you're good. I'm just. I'm verbally <laughs> nodding. <laughs> uh, I am going to decorate uh, the backyard though, because I am having a Halloween party uh, after Halloween. Tremendous. So, so make sure you're there. Make sure you bring the misses. Colin, same for you. Make sure you guys yep. are there, because we're going to bonfire. We're going to drink. We're going to hang on the new deck with the new deck uh, flooring and shit. It's going to be awesome. I'll decorate the back, but fuck the front. I mean, that's just too much. Yeah, if you're not going to enjoy it, yeah, screw that. Yeah, right? I mean, like, it's like if I was going to, like, Arizona for Christmas, would I decorate for Christmas? No. Right. No. Why raise my electric bill for lights that I'm not going to enjoy for the holiday I'm not even going to be here for? Right. Why? Come on now. But, anyways, so, uh, being that it's Halloween uh, month for us and everything, I did want to look up, uh, I, I wanted to, you know, kind of dig into, like, the traditions and, like, kind of the backstory of, like, some Halloween stuff. And we all know, like, a lot of it comes from, like, uh, you know, Celtic stories or, like, um, a Celtic holiday. Is it Celtic or Pagan? Pagan. Yeah, pagan? both. Okay. So, I wanted to kind of look more into it and, like, kind of see, like, you know, what is, like, based on the pagan or based on, you know, a tradition long ago and what's new and everything. And I found out, and this is kind of interesting, and this is kind of why I, said, I mentioned Celtic because I was looking through these things. Um, I found this uh, story, and it's on the HuffingtonPost.com. I don't know if that's real or not because I don't know what's, what sites are real anymore on the fucking internet. Yep. But it talks about how Halloween is more Irish than St. Patrick's Day. That's That's pretty accurate. You think I would, so? I, I think so. Well, I mean, especially if you consider that, like, St. Patrick it was English. Um, and then and then when you consider that St. Patrick's Day, as it's become, is actually an American holiday more than anything else, it was sort of a, a PR move on early Irish immigrants to make them more popular. Okay. In the States. Well, I, so. I got you. So I'm, I, I want to read this first paragraph to you guys and everything. Um, this is the first time I'm reading it, so... Uh, I didn't take time to uh, read or uh, pronounce some of these words I may not get. But, um, Joey, since you obviously know this, tell me if this is accurate or not, okay? Sure. All right. Halloween's origins come from the Celtic festival for the dead called Samhain. Uh, Samhain is actually how you pronounce it. S-A-M-H-A-I-N? Yep. Because Celtic is stupid. (laughs) Uh, Celts believe the ghosts of the dead roam Earth on this holiday, which I also now that kind of sounds weird because I thought that was more of like a um, like a Mexican Hispanic kind of thing. 
Um, Joey, what? Uh, no, nothing. I'm just. Oh, I I heard the click. I thought there was gonna be an answer. No, I was just, I was I actually just gonna agree with you. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything. Lots see, this, of this lots is... of cultures believe that. Okay, see, this is when I stop talking. When I hear that unmute, I know that Joey's about to say something. Oh, so I... <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know you could hear it. Hell yeah, I've been hearing it for two years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, so Ghost of the Dead roam Earth on its holidays, so people would dress in costumes and leave treats out on their front door to appease the roaming spirits. Granted, the Celts were not solely based in Ireland when these customs started taking shape. Around 1st century BC... Let's see, what, 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 is, that a fucking, is that the same sentence, you motherfuckers? Celts were not solely based in Ireland when these customs were taking shape around the 1st century BC, but as will be talked about more in a later section. The Irish Celts uh, were... Is that Celts or Celts? I always say Celts. Celts? Yeah. Okay. Celtics. Okay. Uh, the Irish... <laughs> See, right? It could be either or. Motherfucker. Irish Celts were the ones who invented the jack-o'-lantern. This Halloween prototype was eventually disrupted and adapted by Christian missionaries into celebrations closer to what we celebrate today, including partially by the not-Irish St. Patrick, whose work was later mostly recognized by Americans. So... What? <laughs> Christian missionaries introduced into oh, okay. So the Irish Celts invented jack o' lanterns. Which I also uh, there's a uh, section here that mentions that jack o' lanterns weren't always pumpkins, but uh, with the turnips, beets, and potatoes. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just you know it's just something I found interesting is that they sit there and claim how Halloween is more of an Irish thing that St. Patrick's Day is. I've never thought about so, it that way, but it makes sense to me. See, I always thought, like, uh, so, and I, I know I'm obviously wrong, but this is what I always go to, is I always saw St. Patrick's Day as the day where that one dude ran all the mice out of Ireland. Snakes. Yeah, same thing. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Reptiles and reptile, right? Kidding. I know, I know snakes aren't reptiles. Um, <laughs> Awesome. God bless you. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, like, so, okay, so is that right, though? Like, St. Patrick's celebrating when St. Patrick ran the snakes out of Ireland? Uh, or is that something different? I have no not, idea, to be honest with you. It's I, not that. It's that just, I, I know it's just his holy day, but I don't okay. know. Like, there's lots of different traditions that get wrapped up in that. I got you. I got you. Uh, also, uh, for, I guess, people like me, Halloween used to be the great day to find your soulmate. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. In some parts of Ireland, people celebrate Halloween by playing romantic fortune-telling games, according to Nicholas Rogers' Halloween, from pagan ritual to party night. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure you can find that on Amazon. These games allegedly predicted who they marry and when, since Halloween, like Valentine's Day, was one of the main celebrations of the year where young people could mingle with the opposite sex. It was also considered a good day to scope out a sweetheart. In America, young people, particularly girls, continued the old Irish tradition. Games, like Bobby for Apples, tried to predict future romances according to the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink in America. Hmm. Hmm. 
in few American towns, Halloween was originally referred to as Cabbage Night. <laughs> That's super racist. What? Wow. This came from the Scottish fortune-telling game where girls use cabbage stumps to predict information about their future husband. Oh, that's less racist. Sorry, I thought they were just calling it that because it was Irish. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you fucking racist. You bunch of cabbage heads. <laughs> Holy <Ooh. God. laughs> Never mind. False alarm. <laughs> Those of you at home at Tumblr can put down your keyboards. <laughs> Oh, fuck. In the early Framingham, Massachusetts, teens skipped the fortune telling and simply went around throwing cabbage at their neighbors' houses. Uh, this is no, This was no isolated tradition in the late 19th century. American country boys reportedly rejoiced by throwing cabbage, corn, and assorted rotten vegetables. Huh. Classy. <laughs> That's super racist. Holy shit, just... where'd he go? I stand by my statement. I stand by my statement. Here's one. Uh, here's a, here's a, uh, a fact that kind of makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, some animal shelters won't allow adoption of black cats around Halloween because of fear they'll be sacrificed. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I just, I mean, I, I love Halloween, but I guess at the same time, Halloween does bring the worst out in people. You know, it's. Not everyone, obviously, but certain people, you know, when they go around TPing and egging houses and show you dad. And, sure. You know, it's, you know, or you, you know, you be, you be like me and get beat up, you know, and sprayed with shaving cream. So, I mean, that's cool too. Fucking God, people. Kids. <laughs> Kids are horrible. <laughs> Fuck. They just don't know how to be people yet. No, no, absolutely not. You're, I mean, you're exactly right. You know, it's just, Teenagers are teenagers, you know. Eventually, they're gonna be, you know, be the same. You know, they're gonna be those uh, certain people who hate the kids they used to be, anyways. Yep. So karma happens. It does happen. Um, I want to do one more quick fact, and then um, uh, Colin can do his facts. Okay. So this is something I didn't know. Maybe you guys know. Colin being a movie guy and Joey being intelligent. Uh, because the movie Halloween in 1978 was on a, such a tight budget, they had to use the cheapest mask they could find for the character, Michael Myers, which turned out to be a William Shatner Star Trek mask. Shatner initially didn't know the mask was in his likeness, but when he found out years later, he said it was, he was honored. <laughs> I have Did you heard guys that. have you heard that? I haven't heard that, but I've seen the mask. I don't see how that's fucking William Shatner. I don't know. Weird. I want to go look at it. <laughs> hey, talking about Halloween, they're making another one. Yeah, where I, really I don't guess see that they're either. resurrecting Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. She's back I, for I, it anyway. I guess she, I I didn't know. I haven't seen them all, but I guess she died in the last one. No idea, so, but I believe you. The last one she was in, I should say. Oh. But, yeah. All right. All right, one more fact, and then uh, we're going to do uh, Colin's freaking state of mind. And, uh, okay. So according to Irish legend, jack-o'-lanterns are named after a stingy man named Jack, who, because he tricked the devil several times, was forbidden entrance into both heaven and hell. He was condemned to wander the earth, waving his lantern to lead people away from their paths. 
Hmm. I've never heard that, and I like that. I haven't either, but it sounds yeah, I like it. I think I think that's gonna be my Halloween costume. A jack o' lantern. Jackal. No, I'm gonna be Jack with a lantern who lures people off their path. Nice. Fuck yeah! All I gotta do is say, "Hey, what do you wanna do? You gotta hang out on my deck. Oh, follow me!" And then walk him off the deck. I'm like, boom! You've been jacked. Fucking run away. <laughs> right. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Colin. <laughs> yes. Your turn, sir. Okay. <laughs> well, let me uh, zoom out here. Okay. Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of this freaking state of mind. You know that little segment of our show where we go through each state and list some facts for, about them. Um, last week we ended with the great state of Vermont, and this week we're moving on right to the great state of Virginia. <laughs> um, so starting off, the uh, the major cash crop of Virginia is tobacco, and many people who live there earn their living from the tobacco industry. Uh, Jamestown, the first original, the first of the original 13 colonies was founded for the purpose of silk cultivation, silk to be traded with the court of King James. After blight fungus destroyed the mulberry trees, silkworm food, uh, sericulturists planted tobacco as a cash crop. Uh, Virginia is also known as the birthplace of the nation. Um, Arlen County was originally part of the 10-mile square parcel of land surveyed in 1791 to be the Commonwealth of Virginia, following the referendum among its citizens. Uh, Eight U.S. presidents were born in Virginia. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, William Harrison, John Tyler, Zachary Taylor, and Woodrow Wilson. Uh, the College of William and Mary in Williamsburg is the second oldest in the U.S., and it was founded in 1693. Um, tidbit of information, if you ever get out to the campus of William and Mary, there is a restaurant, from what I last known, uh, there being a restaurant there, called Barrett's, which is an amazing, amazing restaurant that you should try one time. Um, All right, what do they serve? <laughs> Uh, they serve all kinds of stuff. Nice. I I just remember I'd always get calamari and a Caesar salad. And the Caesar salad was made with the hard stalks of lettuce. Ooh. And then they would rest a Parmesan cheese cookie over it oh. with life, light leaf lettuce with Ooh. anchovies on top of that. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. It's actually also connected to Colonial Williamsburg, um, which is a great historical place uh, to visit. Where they, like, they'll build uh, their buildings using the old style nails that they actually make there on the site. Uh, they actually have blacksmiths that are working and forge awesome. nails. Yeah, it's really cool. I went when I was stationed in Virginia. I went there multiple times, probably like five or six times. I would say. <laughs> um, uh, where was I? Uh, the American Revolution ended with the surrender of Cornwallis in Yorktown, Virginia. On March 9th, 1862, at Hampton Roads, Virginia, the USS Monitor and the CSS Virginia, formerly the USS Merrimack, met in one of the world's in one of the most famous naval engagements in U.S. history. Their battle, the first of its kind between metal armored vessels, changed for all 
time, the nature of naval warfare. Uh, the states of Kentucky and West Virginia were formed from sections of the state of Virginia. Over half the battles fought in the Civil War were fought in Virginia. Over 2,200 of the 4,000 battles. Uh, in Virginia, more people worked for the U.S. government than any other industry, about one-fourth of Virginia's workers. The Virginia's largest private employer is also the world's largest shipbuilding yard, which, yes, they are building ships for uh, the Navy and other uh, clientele. Hmm. Uh, Virginia is home base to the U.S. Navy's Atlantic Fleet, uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is in Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, the Pentagon uh, building in Arlington is the largest office building in the world and has nearly 68,000 miles of internal telephone lines. Uh, General Thomas Jackson got his nickname Stonewall in Manassas, the site of two major Civil War battles. Uh, Virginia has been dubbed the Internet Capital of the World. The Great Dismal Swamp is in Virginia near the North Carolina border. Uh, Virginia Beach is the largest city in Virginia. Its population is expected to surpass... Uh, uh, the, well, this is an old fact. Suspe su suspected to surpass 500,000 residents by 2010. So, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if they did it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they did, so... And uh, I've been to Virginia Beach quite a few times. Um, I don't care for it. I think it's dirty, but that's me. I don't really like the beach. So, um, Like the any beach? Anywho. Like any beach, yeah. Gotcha. I mean, it's it's all right, but it is what it is. Um, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel is the world's largest bridge tunnel complex. And it's actually really cool because the bridge is completely underwater. Um, so wild ponies have roamed freely in Assateague Island for centuries. And our next fact, which is an interesting one, President Thomas Jefferson designed his own home called and called it Monticello. And actually, when I was getting out of I was like when I was leaving Virginia, yeah, I was leaving Virginia at the time. Um, I drove back to Illinois and me and my father actually stopped here and we got to take a tour of the entire house, which was a very interesting house. The thing that pisses me off though, is the camera that I had taken pictures on miraculously disappeared. So I don't have any pictures of the place. Oh, what a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. It's a very big bummer and I hate it because I liked it. Um, Patrick Henry made his Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech in St. John's Church in Richmond, Virginia. And our last fact for the night for the great state of Virginia is Bristol, Virginia, is legally two cities, but they share the same main street. Uh, one in Virginia and one in Tennessee, each with its own government and city services. So thank you all for joining me. On another segment of this freaking state of mind, please come back next week for our next segment. 
Back to you, Travis. Thanks, Kyle. I got to say, I'm actually kind of surprised there was only eight presidents from uh, Virginia. I always thought, like, you know, being there, like, out 42, at least the majority of it had to come from, like, Virginia, Massachusetts, and all that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but awesome facts. I mean, I'm really intrigued by Virginia now. I and Now I regret not visiting you. You know. But anyways, uh, I digress. <clears throat> um, to close out the show, uh, we are doing uh, one of my favorite segments uh, that we are bringing back for the entire month of October that we talked about for weeks and everyone knows about. And I know the Freak Joe is excited to do it too. I am. So uh, we are going to do our first, uh, f- I guess, five, because we are doing five weeks of this. Yeah, five first weeks. of five, five weeks. So the first of five, uh, Freak Joe uh, introducing our Freaky Tales. Yeah, so uh, today's Freaky Tale is by Edgar Allan Poe. It is The Pit and the Pendulum. Just give me a second here while I uh, collect my voice. Okay. <laughs> the timing of uh, the the school just started a month ago bronchitis is just tremendous this year. Um. Impia tortorum logos hic turba furores, sanguinis innocui, non satia aluit, sospite nunc patria, fracto nunc funeris antro, mors ubi dira fruit, vita salusque patent. I was sick, sick unto death with that long agony. And when they at length unbound me, and I was permitted to sit, I felt that my senses were leaving me. The sentence, the dread sentence of death, was the last of distinct accentuation which reached my ears. After that, the sound of the inquisitorial voices seemed merged in one dreamy, indeterminate hum. It conveyed to my soul the idea of revolution, perhaps from its association and fancy with the burr of a mill-wheel, this only for a brief period, for presently I heard no more. Yet, for a while I saw, but with how terrible an exaggeration I saw, the lips of the black-robed judges. They appeared to me white, whiter than the sheet upon which I trace these words, and thin even to grotesqueness, thin with the intensity of their expression of firmness, of immovable resolution, of stern contempt of human torture." I saw that the decrees of what to me was fate were still issuing from those lips. I saw them writhe with a deadly locution. I saw them fashion the syllables of my name, and I shuddered because no sound succeeded. I saw, too, for a few moments of delirious horror, the soft and nearly imperceptible waving of the sable draperies which enwrapped the walls of the apartment. And then my vision fell upon the seven fall candles upon the table. At first they wore the aspect of charity, and seemed white slender angels who would save me, but then, all at once, there came a most deadly nausea over my spirit, and I felt every fiber in my frame thrill as if I had touched the wire of a galvanic battery, while the angel forms became meaningless specters, with heads of flame, and I saw that from them there would be no help. And then there stole into my fancy, like a rich musical note, the thought of what sweet rest there must be in the grave. The thought came gently and stealthily, and it seemed long before it attained full appreciation. But just as my spirit came at length properly to feel and entertain it, the figures of the judges vanished, 
as if magically from before me. The tall candles dank into nothingness. Their flames went out utterly. The blackness of darkness supervened. All sensations appeared swallowed up in a mad, rushing descent, as of the soul of Hades. Then silence and stillness and night were the universe. I had swooned, but still will not say that all of consciousness was lost. What if it there remained I still no, not attempt to define, or even to describe, yet all was not lost? On the deepest slumber, no, in delirium, no, in a swoon, no, in death, no, even in the grave all is not lost, else there is no more immortality for man. Arousing from the most profound of slumbers, we break the gossamer web of some dream. Yet in a second afterward, so frail that web may have been, we remember not that we have dreamed. In the return to life from the swoon, there are two stages. First, that of the sense of mental or spiritual. Secondly, that of the sense of physical existence. It seems probable that if upon reaching the second stage we could recall the impressions of the first, we should soon find these impressions eloquent in memories of the gulf beyond. And that gulf is what? How at least shall we distinguish its shadows from those of the tomb? But if the impressions of what I saw I have termed the first stage are not at will recalled, yet after long interval go they not unbidden while we marvel whence they come? He who has never swooned, is not he who finds strange palaces and wildly familiar faces and coals that glow? Is not he who beholds, floating in mid-air, the sad visions that the many may not view? Is not he who ponders over the perfume of some novel flower? Is not he whose brain grows bewildered with the meaning of some musical cadence which has never before arrested his attention? Amid frequent and thoughtful endeavors to remember, amid earnest struggles to regather some token of the state of seeming nothingness into which my soul had lapsed, there have been moments when I have dreamed of success. There have been brief, very brief periods, when I have conjured up remembrances which the lucid reason of a later epoch assures me could have had reference only to that condition of seeming unconsciousness. These shadows of memory tell indistinctly of tall figures that lifted and bore me in silence down, down, still down, till a hideous dizziness oppressed me at the mere idea of the interminableness of the descent. They tell also of a vague horror at my heart, on account of that heart's unnatural stillness. Then comes a sense of sudden motionlessness throughout all things, as if those who bore me, a ghastly train, had outrun in their descent the limits of the limitless, and paused from the wearisomeness of their toil. After this I call to mind flatness and dampness, and then all is madness, the madness of a memory which busies itself among forbidden things. Very suddenly there came back to my soul motion and sound, the tumultuous motion of the heart, and in my ears the sound of its beating. Then a pause in which all is blank. Then again sound and motion and touch, a tingling sensation pervading my frame. Then the mere consciousness of existence without thought, a tingling sensation pervading my frame. Then the mere consciousness of existence without thought, a condition which lasted long. Then, very suddenly, thought and shuddering terror, an earnest endeavor to comprehend my true state. 
then a strong desire to lapse into insensibility, then a rushing revival of sound and successful effort to move, and now a full memory of the trial of the judges of the sable draperies, of the sentence of the sickness of the swoon, then entire forgetfulness of all that followed, of all that a later day and much earnestness of endeavor had enabled my vaguely to recall. So far I had not opened my eyes. I felt that I lay upon my back unbound. I reached out my hand, and it fell heavily upon something damp and hard. There I suffered it to remain for many minutes, while I strove to imagine where and what I could be. I longed, yet dared not to employ my vision. I dreaded the first glance at objects around me. I was not that I feared to look upon things horrible, but that I grew aghast lest here should be nothing to see. At length, with a wild and desperate heart, I quickly unclosed my eyes. My worst thoughts then were confirmed. The blackness of eternal night encompassed me. I struggled for breath. The intensity of the darkness seemed to oppress and stifle me. The atmosphere was intolerably close. I lay still quietly and made effort to exercise my reason. I brought to mind the inquisitorial proceedings and attempted from that point to deduce my real condition. The sentence had passed, and it appeared to me that a very long interval of time had since elapsed. Yet not for the moment did I suppose myself actually dead. Such a supposition, notwithstanding what we read in fiction, is altogether inconsistent with real existence. But where, in what state was I? The condemned to death I knew perished usually at the auto de fa, and one of these had been held on the very night of the day of my trial. Had I been remanded to my dungeon to await the next sacrifice, which would not take place for many months? This I at once saw could not be. Victims had been in immediate demand. Moreover, my dungeon, as well as all the condemned cells at Toledo, had stone floors, and light was not altogether excluded. A fearful idea now suddenly drove my blood in torrents upon my heart, and for a brief period I once more relapsed into insensibility. Upon recovering, I at once started to my feet, trembling convulsively in every fiber. I thrust my arms wildly above and around me in all directions. I felt nothing, yet dreaded to move a step lest I should be impeded by the walls of a tomb. Perspiration burst from every pore and stood in cold, big beads upon my forehead. The agony of suspense grew at length intolerable, and I cautiously moved forward with my arms extended and my eyes straining from their sockets in the hope of catching some faint ray of light. I proceeded for many paces, but still all was blackness and vacancy. I breathed more freely. It seemed evident that mine was not at least the most hideous of fates. And now, as I still continued to step cautiously onward, there came thronging upon my recollection a thousand vague rumors of the horrors of Toledo. Of the dungeons there had been strange things narrated, fables I had always deemed them, but yet strange, and too ghastly to repeat save in a whisper. Was I left to perish of starvation in this subterranean world of darkness? Or what fate, perhaps even more fearful, awaited me? That the result would be death, and a death of more than customary bitterness, 
I knew too well the character of my judges to doubt. The mode and the hour were all that occupied or distracted me. My outstretched hands at length encountered some solid obstruction. It was a wall, seemingly of stone masonry, very smooth, slimy, and cold. I followed it up, stepping with all the careful distrust with which certain antique narratives had inspired me. This process, however, afforded me no means of ascertaining the dimensions of my dungeon, as I might make its circuit and return to the point whence I set out, without being aware of the fact, so perfectly uniform seemed the wall. I therefore sought the knife which had been in my pocket when led into the inquisitorial chamber, but it was gone. My clothes had been exchanged for a wrapper of coarse serge. I had thought of forcing the blade in some minute crevice of the masonry so as to identify my point of departure. The difficulty, nevertheless, was but trivial, although in the disorder of my fancy it seemed at first insuperable. I tore a part of the hem of the robe and placed the fragment at full length and at right angles to the wall. In groping my way around the prison, I could not fail to encounter this rag upon completing the circuit. So, at least I thought, but I had not counted upon the extent of the dungeon or upon my own weakness. The ground was moist and slippery. I staggered onward for some time when I stumbled and fell. My excessive fatigue induced me to remain prostrate, and sleep soon overtook me as I lay. Upon awaking and stretching forth an arm, I found beside me a loaf and a pitcher with water. I was too much exhausted to reflect upon this circumstance, but ate and drank with avidity. Shortly afterward, I resumed my tour around the prison, and with much toil came at last upon the fragment of the surge. Up to the period when I fell, I had counted fifty-two paces, and upon resuming my walk, I had counted forty-eight more, when I arrived at the rag. There were in all, then, a hundred paces, and, admitting two paces to the yard, I presumed the dungeon to be fifty yards in circuit. I had met, however, with many angles in the wall, and thus I could not help supposing it to be. I had little object, certainly no hope in these researches, but a vague curiosity prompted me to continue them. Quitting the wall, I resolved to cross the area of the enclosure. At first, I proceeded with extreme caution, for the floor, although seemingly of solid material, was treacherous with slime. At length, however, I took courage, and did not hesitate to step firmly, endeavoring to cross in as direct a line as possible. I had advanced some ten or twelve paces in this manner when the remnant of the torn hem of my robe became entangled between my legs. I stepped on it and fell violently on my face. In the confusion attending my fall, I did not immediately apprehend a some, somewhat startling circumstance, which yet, in a few seconds afterward, and while I still lay prostrate, arrested my attention. It was this. My chin rested upon the floor of the prison, but my lips and the upper portion of my head, although seemingly at a less elevation than my chin, touched nothing. At the same time, my forehead seemed bathed in a clammy vapor, and the particular smell of decayed fungus arose to my nostrils. I put forward my arm and shuddered to find that I had fallen at the very brink of a circular pit, whose extents, of course, I had no means of ascertaining at that moment. Groping about the masonry just below the margin, I succeeded in dislodging a small fragment and let it fall into the abyss.' 
For many seconds, I hearkened to its reverberations as it dashed against the sides of the chasm in its descent. At length, there was a sullen plunge into water, succeeded by loud echoes. At the same moment, there came a sound resembling the quick opening and as rapid closing of a door overhead where a faint gleam of light flashed suddenly through the gloom and as suddenly faded away. I saw clearly the doom which had been prepared for me and congratulated myself upon the timely accident by which I had escaped. Another stop before my fall and the world had seen me no more. And the death just avoided was of that very character which I had regarded as fabulous and frivolous in the tales respecting the Inquisition. To the victims of its tyranny, there was the choice of death with its direst physical agonies or death with its most hideous moral horrors. I had been reserved for the latter. By long suffering, my nerves had been unstrung until I trembled at the sound of my own voice and had become, in every respect, a fitting subject for the species of torture which awaited me. Shaking in every limb, I groped my way back to the wall, resolving, resolving there to perish rather than risk the terrors of the well, of which my imagination now pictured many in various positions around the dungeon. In other conditions of mind, I might have had courage to end my misery at once by plunging into one of these abysses, but now I was the veriest of cowards. Neither could I forget what I had read of these pits, that the sudden extinction of life formed no part of their most horrible plan. Agitation of spirit kept me awake for many long hours, but at length I again slumbered. Upon arousing, I found by my side, as before, a loaf and a pitcher of water. A burning thirst consumed me, and I emptied the vessel at a draft. It must have been drugged, for scarcely had I drunk before I became irresistibly drowsy. A deep sleep fell upon me, a sleep like that of death. How long it lasted, of course I know not. But when, once again I unclosed my eyes, the objects around me were visible. By a wild, sulfurous luster, the origin of which I could not at first determine, I was enabled to see the extent and aspect of the prison. In its size I had been greatly mistaken. The whole circuit of its walls did not exceed twenty-five yards. For some minutes this fact occasioned me a world of vain trouble. Vain indeed! For what could be of less importance under the terrible circumstances which environed me than the mere dimensions of my dungeon? But my soul took the wild interest in trifles, and I busied myself in endeavors to account for the error I had committed in my measurement. The truth at length flashed upon me. In my first attempt at exploration, I had counted fifty-two paces up to the moment when I fell. I must then have been within a pace or two of the fragment of the surge. In fact, I had nearly performed the circuit of the vault. I then slept, and upon waking I must have returned upon my steps, thus supposing that circuit nearly double what it actually was. My confusion of mind prevented me from observing that I began my tour with the wall to the left, and ended it with the wall to the right. I had been deceived, too, in respect to the shape of the enclosure. In feeling my way, I had found many angles, and thus deduced an idea of great irregularity. So potent is the effect of total darkness upon arousing from lethargy or sleep. 
the angles were simply those of a few slight depressions, or niches at odd intervals. The general shape of the prison was square. What I had taken for masonry seemed now to be iron or some other metal, in huge plates whose sutures or joints occasioned the depression. The entire surface of this metallic enclosure was rudely daubed in all the hideous and repulsive devices to which the charnel superstition of the monks has given rise. The figures of fiends and aspects of menace, with skeleton forms and other more really fearful images, overspread and disfigured the walls. I observed that the outlines of these monstrosities were sufficiently distinct, but that the colors seemed faded and blurred as if from the effects of a damp atmosphere. I now noticed the floor, too, which was of stone. In the center yawned the circular pit from whose jaws I had escaped, but it was the only one in the dungeon. All this I saw, indistinctly and by much effort, for my personal condition had been greatly changed during slumber. I now lay upon my back and at full length on a species of low framework of wood. To this I was securely bound by a long strap, resembling a circingle. It passed in many convolutions about my limbs and body, leaving at liberty only my head and my left arm to such extent that I could, by dint of much exertion, supply myself with food from an earthen dish which lay by my side on the floor. I saw, to my horror, that the pitcher had been removed. I say to my horror, for I was consumed with intolerable thirst. This thirst it appeared to be the design of my persecutors to stimulate, for the food in the dish was meat, pungently seasoned. Looking upward, I surveyed the ceiling of my prison. It was some thirty or forty feet overhead, and constructed much as the side walls. In one of its panels, a very singular figure riveted my whole attention. It was the painted figure of time, as he is commonly represented, save that in lieu in, of a scythe he held what, at a casual glance, I supposed to be the pictured image of a huge pendulum, such as we see on antique clocks. There was something, however, in the appearance of this machine which caused me to regard it more attentively. While I gazed directly upward at it, for its position was immediately over my own, I fancied that I saw it in motion. In an instant afterward, the fancy was confirmed. Its sweep was brief, and of course, slow. I watched it for some minutes, somewhat in fear, but more in wonder. Wearied at length with observing its dull movement, I turned my eyes upon the other objects in the cell. A slight noise attracted my notice, and, looking at the floor, I saw several enormous rats traversing it. They had issued from the well, which lay just within view to my right. Even then, while I gazed, they came up in troops, hurriedly, with ravenous eyes, allured by the scent of the meat. From this it required much effort and attention to scare them away. It might have been half an hour perhaps even an hour, for I could take but imperfect note of time, before I cast my eyes upward. What I then saw confounded and amazed me. The sweep of the pendulum had increased in extent by nearly a yard. As a natural consequence, its velocity was also much greater. But what mainly disturbed me was the idea that it had perceptibly descended. I now observed 
with what horror it is needless to say, that its nether extremity was formed of a crescent of glittering steel about a foot in length from horn to horn, the horns raised upward, and the under edge evidently as keen as that of a razor. Like a razor also it seemed massy and heavy, tapering from the edge into a solid and broad structure above. It was appended to a weighty rod of brass, and the hole hissed as it swung through the air. I could no longer doubt the doom prepared for me by monkish ingenuity in torture. My cognizance of the pit had become known to the inquisitorial agents, the pit whose horrors had been destined for so bold a recusant as myself, the pit typical of hell and regarded by rumor as the ultima thule of all their punishments. The plunge into this pit I had avoided by the merest of accidents, and I knew that surprise or entrapment into torment formed an important portion of all the grotesquerie of these dungeon deaths. Having failed to fall, it was no part of the demon plan to hurl me into the abyss, and thus, there being no alternative, a different and milder destruction awaited me. Milder? I half smiled in my agony as I thought of such application of such a term. What boots it took to tell the long, long hours of horror more than mortal, during which I counted the rushing vibrations of the steel, inch by inch, line by line, with a descent only appreciable at intervals that seemed ages, down and still down it came. Days passed. It might have been that many days passed ere it swept so closely over me as to fan me with its acrid breath. The odor of the sharp steel forced itself into my nostrils. I prayed. I wearied heaven with my prayer for its more speedy descent. I grew frantically mad and struggled to force myself upward against the sweep of the fearful scimitar. And then I fell suddenly calm and lay smiling at the glittering death, as a child at some rare bauble. There was another interval of utter insensibility. It was brief, for upon again lapsing into life there had been no perceptible descent in the pendulum. But it might have been long, for I knew there were demons who took note of my swoon, and who could have arrested the vibration at pleasure. Upon my recovery, too, I felt very, oh, inexpressibly sick and weak, as if through long inanition. Even amid the agonies of that period, the human nature craved food. With painful effort, I outstretched my arm as far as my bonds permitted and took possession of the small remnant which had been spared me by the rats. As I put a portion of it within my lips, there rushed to my mind a half-formed thought of joy, of hope. Yet what business had I with hope? It was, as I say, a half-formed thought. Man had many such which are never completed. I felt that it was of joy, of hope. But I felt also that it had perished in its formation. In vain I struggled to perfect, to regain it. Long suffering had nearly annihilated all my ordinary powers of mind. I was an imbecile, an idiot. The vibration of the pendulum was at right angles to my length. 
I saw that the crescent was designed to crest the region of my heart. It would fray the surge of my robe. It would return and repeat its operations again and again, notwithstanding its terrifically wide sweep some thirty feet or more and the hissing vigor of its descent, sufficient to sunder these very walls of iron. Still the fraying of my robe would be all that for several minutes it would accomplish. And at this thought I paused. I dared not go further than this reflection. I dwelt upon it with a pertinacity of attention, as if, in so dwelling, I could arrest here the descent of the steel. I forced myself to ponder upon the sound of the crescent, as it should pass across the garment, upon the particular thrilling sensation which the friction of cloth produces on the nerves. I pondered upon all this frivolity until my teeth were on edge. Down, steadily down it crept. I took a frenzied pleasure in contrasting its downward with its lateral velocity. To the right, to the left, far and wide, with the shriek of a damned spirit, to my heart with the stealthy pace of a tiger, I alternately laughed and howled as the one or the other grew predominant. Down, certainly, restlessly down, it vibrated within three inches of my bosom. I struggled violently, furiously to free my left arm. This was free from the elbow to the hand. I could reach the ladder from the platter behind me to my mouth with great effort, but no farther. Could I have broken the fastenings above the elbow, I would have seized and attempted to arrest the pendulum. I might as well have attempted to arrest an avalanche. Down, still unceasingly, still inevitably down. I gasped and struggled at each vibration. I shrunk convulsively at its every sweep. My eyes followed its outward or upward whirls with the eagerness of the most unmeaning despair. They closed themselves spasmodically at the descent, although death would have been a relief. Oh, how unspeakable! Still I quivered in every nerve to think how slight a sinking of the machinery would precipitate that keen, glistening axe upon my bosom. It was hope that prompted the nerve to quiver, the frame to shrink. I was hope, the hope that triumphs on the rack, that whispers to the death condemned even in the dungeons of the Inquisition. I saw that some ten or twelve vibrations would bring the steel in actual contact with my robe, and with this observation there suddenly came over my spirit all the keen, collected calmness of despair. For the first time during many hours, or perhaps days, I thought, it now occurred to me that the bandage or circingle which enveloped me was unique. I was tied by no separate cord. The first stroke of the razor-like descent athwart any portion of the band would so detach it that it might be unwound from my person by means of my left hand. But how fearful, in that case, the proximity of the steel! The result of the slightest struggle, how deadly! Was it likely, moreover, that the minions of the torturer had not foreseen and provided for this possibility? Was it possibly, probably that the bandage crossed my bosom in the track of the pendulum, dreading to find my fate, and, as it seemed, my last hope frustrated, I so far elevated my head as to obtain a distinct view of my breast? The circingle enveloped my limbs and body close in all directions, save in the path of the destroying crescent.
Scarcely had I dropped my hand back into its original position, when there flashed upon my mind that I cannot better describe than as the unformed half of that idea of deliverance to which I have previously alluded, and of which a moiety only floated indeterminately through my brain when I raised food to my burning lips. The whole thought was now present, feeble, scarcely sane, scarcely definite but still entire. I proceeded at once with the nervous energy of despair to attempt its execution. For many hours the immediate vicinity of the low framework upon which I lay had been literally swarming with rats. They were wild, bold, ravenous, their red eyes glaring upon me, as if they waited but for motionlessness on my part to make me their prey. To what food, I thought, have they been accustomed in the well? They had devoured, in spite of my, all my efforts to prevent them, all but a small remnant of the contents of the dish. I had fallen into an habitual seesaw, or wave of the hand about the platter, and at length the unconsciousness uniformity of the movement deprived it of effect. In their voracity, the vermin frequently fastened their sharp fangs on my fingers. With the particles of the oily and spicy viand which now remained, I thoroughly rubbed the bandage wherever I could reach it. Then, raising my hand from the floor, I lay breathlessly still. At first, the ravenous animals were startled and terrified at the change, at the cessation of movement. They shrank alarmedly back. Many sought the well. But this was only for a moment. I had not counted in vain upon the veracity. Observing that I remained without motion, one or two of the boldest leaped leapt upon the framework and smelt at the circingle. This seemed the signal for a general rush. Forth from the well they hurried in fresh troops. They clung to the wood, overran it, and leaped in hundreds upon my person. The measured movement of the pendulum disturbed them not at all. Avoiding its strokes, they busied themselves with the anointed bandage. They pressed, they swarmed upon me in ever-accumulating heaps. They writhed upon my throat, their cold lips sought my own. I was half-stifled by their thronging pressure. Disgust, for which the world had no name, swelled in my bosom and chilled with a heavy clamminess my heart. Yet one minute, and I felt that the struggle would be over. Plainly I perceived the loosening of the bandage. I knew that in more than one place it must already be severed. With a more than human resolution I lay still. Nor had I erred in my calculations. Nor had I endured in vain. I at length felt that I was free. The circingle hung in ribbons from my body, but the stroke of the pendulum already pressed upon my bosom. It had divided the surge of the robe. It had cut through the linen beneath. Twice again it stung, and a sharp sense of pain shot through every nerve. But the moment of escape had arrived. At a wave of my hand, my deliverers hurried tumultuously away. With a steady movement, cautious, sidelong, shrinking, and slow, I slid from the embrace of the bandage and beyond the reach of the scimitar. For the moment, at least, I was free. Free! And in the grasp of the Inquisition, I had scarcely stepped from my wooden bed of horror upon the stone floor of the prison when the motion of the hellish machine ceased and I beheld it drawn up by some invisible force through the ceiling. 
This was a lesson which I took desperately to heart. My every motion was undoubtedly watched. Free! I had but escaped death in one form of agony to be delivered unto worse death. Worse than death in some other. With that thought, I rolled my eyes nervously around on the barriers of iron that hemmed me in. Something unusual some change which at first I could not appreciate distinctly. It was obvious had taken place in the apartment. For many minutes of a dreamy and trembling abstraction, I busied myself in vain, unconnected conjecture. During this period, I became aware for the first time of the origin of the sulfurous light which illuminated the cell. It proceeded from a fissure, about half an inch in width, extending entirely around the prison at the base of the walls, which thus appeared and were completely separated from the floor. I endeavored, but of course in vain, to look through the aperture. As I arose from the attempt, the mystery of the alteration in the camp chamber broke at once upon my understanding. I have observed that, although the outlines of the figures upon the walls were sufficiently distinct, yet the colors seemed blurred and indefinite. These colors had now assumed, and were momentarily assuming, a startling and most intense brilliancy that gave to the spectral and fiendish portraitures an aspect that might have thrilled even firmer nerves than my own. Demon eyes of a wild and ghastly vivacity glared at me in a thousand directions, where none had been visible before, and gleamed with the lurid luster of a fire that I could not force my imagination to regard as unreal. Unreal. Even while I breathed, there came to my nostrils the breath of the vapor of heated iron. A suffocating odor pervaded the prison. A deeper glow settled each moment in the eyes that glared at my agonies. A richer tint of crimson diffused itself over the pictured horrors of blood. I panted. I gasped for breath. There could be no doubt of the design of my tormentors. Oh, most unrelenting! Oh, most demoniac of men! I shrank from the glowing metal to the center of the cell, amid the thought of fiery destruction that impended. The idea of the coolness of the well came over my straining vision below. The glare from the enkindled roof illuminated its inmost recesses. Yet for a wild moment did my spirit refuse to comprehend the meaning of what I saw. At length, if forced, it wrestled its way into my soul. It burned itself in upon my shuddering reason. Oh, for a voice to speak! Oh, horror! Oh, any horror but this! With a shriek, I rushed from the margin and buried my face in my hands, weeping bitterly. The heat rapidly increased, and once again I looked up, shuddering as with a fit of the ague. There had been a second change in the cell, and now the change was obviously in the form. As before, it was in vain that I at first endeavored to appreciate or understand what was taking place, but not long was I left in doubt. The inquisitorial vengeance had been hurried by my twofold escape and there was to be no more dallying with the king of terrors. The room had been square. I saw that two of its iron angles were now acute, two, consequently, obtuse. 
The fearful difference quickly increased with a low rumbling or moaning sound. In an instant the apartment had shifted its form into that of a lozenge. But the alteration stopped not here. I neither hoped nor desired it to stop. I could have clasped the red walls to my bosom as a garment of eternal peace. Death, I said, any death but that of the pit. Fool! Might I have not known that into this pit it was the object of the burning iron to urge me? Could I resist its glow? Or, if even that, could I withstand its pressure? And now, flatter and flatter grew the lozenge, with a rapidity that left me no time for contemplation. Its center, and of course its greatest width, came just over the yawning gulf. I shrank back but the closing walls pressed me resistlessly forward. At length, for my seared and writhing body, there was no longer an inch of foothold on the firm floor of the prison. I struggled no more, but the agony of my soul found vent in one long, loud, and final scream of despair. I felt that I tottered upon the brink. I averted my eyes. There was a discordant hum of human voices. There was a loud blast as of many trumpets. There was a harsh grating as of a thousand thunders. The fiery walls rushed back. An outstretched arm caught my own as I fell, fainting into the abyss. It was that of General La Salle. The French army had entered Toledo. The Inquisition was in the hands of its enemies. And that concludes tonight's freaky tale. Joe, I uh, I followed along, and I got to tell you, I love book on tape. <laughs> Dude, it was awesome, man. I actually had goosebumps as you read it, man. So you, that was that was very well read. Thank <clears throat> you. Awesome job, yes, man. Yes, very well done. That's very very awesome, and um. I mean, we're I mean, we're we're all ground Poe fans, you know. So I don't want to take anything away from the guy. But what I would really love to see is some submitted stories from our listeners. Yes, please. Uh, I mean, I would love to see that. Um, we got four more weeks, four more stories after this. So if you guys have a story that you know you're working on, or you know you've written and you want to share with the world, you just don't know how to get it out there. Give it to us. Allow, allow, allow Freak Joe to read it. I mean, you know, if you just listened to how he read Edgar Allan Poe, I mean, you, you know that he would do great things with your story as well. So make sure you, know, you can send it to us. You can send it to this freaking show uh, at yahoo.com, and uh, we'll read it on the air. We'll give you credit. You know, we'll, we'll link, you know, if, there, if it's anywhere for purchase, we'll link the description for you and everything. It'll, it'll be great. It'll be great for everyone. Great for us. Great for you. So uh, just, you know, listeners out there, keep that in mind. Yeah, please, uh, please submit anything. Absolutely. Uh, Freak Joe, what you uh, freaking on this week? Uh, I am freaking on Westworld, which I've finally begun. Um, great show based on a book by, uh, or I don't know if it's a book or a short story uh, by Michael Crichton, who is a, uh, uh, he's a good writer of science fiction. He also wrote Jurassic Park, which is a, a great movie. Um and uh, it's fantastic. It's it's basically uh, it's it's Disneyland for adults, and uh, it's it's a wonderful show. HBO did a really good job. 
Um, I'll admit I'm only on the first episode, but I am completely drawn in. So I highly recommend it. Um, check it out. It's it's really good. <laughs> nice. Westworld is based on a 1973 film with the same name. Oh, it's based on a film. Which was written and directed by Michael Crichton. Gotcha. I knew it was by Michael Crichton, but I couldn't remember. I, di- I didn't know if it was a novel, a short story, or something else. So, yeah. film. I apologize. So. <laughs> You uh, you gonna ask anyone, Joe? Or no, I thought Colin was just going. Sorry, oh, Colin, no, what no. are you freaking out this week? I was kind of like, should I should I just jump into my own thing and say, um, I'm I'm breaking out of the fact that I finally have my VR hooked back up. <laughs> nice. I uh, since moving into my place, I have just finally hooked the VR up. And I'm trying to get back into playing that. Got to nice. buy some more games for it, though. Um, but you just that have the is one right now, right? What's that? You just have that one, the Resident Evil one or whatever it is? Uh, Yeah, and then, like, the game that came with it, which are just short games, so. I gotcha. But, yeah, I, I'm looking for more games, but they cost money, and I don't want to pay for them, so. What about you, Travis? How about you? Um, well, sure. Um, my dad's coming out uh, this coming weekend, so I'm really excited to hang out with him. Um, you know, don't get to spend a lot of time with him. So when he does come out, we try to make the best of it. Uh, we'll probably end up watching uh, Longmire on Netflix and uh, going to um, dinner somewhere, which is uh, which is totally fine with me. You know, he, he's getting up to an age where we can't do too much, but the time I spend with him is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm also, uh, really excited to, uh, work on and figure out everything we're doing for a hundredth episode in three weeks. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, we have a lot, uh, we have a few cool guests coming on to kind of celebrate with us and everything. And, uh, just kind of figured out that there is a great prize, uh, for a winner of a contest that we're going to do during the hundredth episode. So that's really cool. I'm also really excited to finally get to watching uh, the new season of Gotham on Netflix. I haven't done that yet, so I'm really excited. I'm going to start that up this oh, week. Man, that's right. I got to get to do that. Yeah. Well, like, I wanted to start it, but I don't want to do like multiple like TV shows at once. I want to get through one so I can focus on like Gotham solely. So I got to get through Fuller House, and I got to get through uh, Lucha Underground. But after I do all that, then I'm going to focus on Gotham and being Halloween, you know, who better to watch than, you know, Batman and his, uh, I guess, origin or world. Batman and his bitches. Batman and his bitches. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a lot of cool stuff, you know, getting the deck fixed up and everything. Uh, we, uh, I'm really excited because I'm actually in talks with us having a really cool guest on next week. So I'm really excited for that. Uh, we're going to be talking with a uh, podcaster who's starting up a new podcast all about uh, ghost stories and uh, haunted uh, places. Oh, sweet. Yeah, so I'm really excited to, uh, to talk with him. Uh, his name's John. Uh, I don't know too much about his partner on the show, but John used to be on a podcast called John Hate Movies. Uh, I guess they kind of re- uh, recently um, ended that podcast, and now he's starting up a new one where he's going to talk about uh, – Ghost stories, uh, haunted places, and stuff like that. I'm actually uh, going to be on that show when um, it gets up and running. So they're going to come on, talk a little about uh, 
you know, their experiences, their show, and uh, just some further Halloween stuff. So a lot of good stuff. I'm, I'm excited for this week. A lot of things going on. So I am uh, I am super ready for all that. Uh, yeah. Hey, Joe. Yes. For the next five weeks, our listeners are going to catch the Freak Joe here on this Freaky Show. But if they still need to hear from Geek Cash Joe, where can they go? If you need Geek Cash Joe in your life, you can find him over the Geek Cash Live podcast at GCL.ninja. You can also find him on Facebook, iTunes, Google Play, and Twitter by searching Geek Cast Live. Nice. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, for, uh, for the next four weeks following this week, we'll be uh, celebrating uh, Halloween on our show, which means it's your time to get more uh, interactive with our show. Send us stories that the Freak Joe will be uh, reading every week here on this Freaky Show. If you have a story about Halloween or a funny story, a scary story, anything like that that you want us to share on the show, email us at thisfreakingshow at yahoo.com or contact us on the website thisfreakingshow.com. Or you can message us even on Facebook if you search this freaking show. Speaking of Facebook, uh, we are on Facebook. We are also on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All you got to do is search this freaking show. Make sure you catch GeekCast Joe on uh, GeekCast Live, GCL.Ninja. If you're also a wrestling fan, make sure you check Travesty along with Dizzle J on the JFW podcast, Just Freaking Wrestling. Entire uh, podcast that kid number wrestling. We want to thank Firefit Bar and Grill for being a sponsor for the past two years. And we also want to thank our new sponsor, We Are Deppertize. Just go to wearedeppertize.com to buy a tie for just $15. Use the promo code FREAKIN to save on shipping. As always, I am Travis D. I'm Awkward Kyle. And I'm Geekcast Joe. Thank you for listening to another episode of this freaky show. I'm out. <laughs>